Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads and lasses, and those who don't subscribe to our channel, welcome to the Pot of the Dragon Podcast. This is a review podcast for episode 9, the penultimate episode of HBO's House of the Dragon. I am your host, Lee. I am here, as always, joined by my steadfast co-host, Spencer. Spencer, how you doing? Excited to talk about an episode, man. As am I, and we, big news tonight, we have a guest host, we have somebody else joining us to talk about the podcast. We have our good friend, and actually, like, I would say somebody who has been adding to this podcast behind the scenes, very Larry's-esque, I would say, behind the scenes. Doug, Doug, how are you? Uh, well, I am sans foot fetish at this point, but very glad to be part of this. Thank you very much. If, is that the, your foot in the door. Is that the sole part of this episode you're going to talk about? I mean, unbelievable. No, I, I do want to talk about the metallurgy involved in the crown that the series wore, but my wife made me promise not to go into depth on that, so... Okay, we well, rely on expert knowledge in that topic, Doug. You've got to go into it. I'm excited to talk about this episode. So, last episode, pretty famously, I would say for our fan base, Spencer, like we were really positive, and we got a lot of negative comments about that, about being very positive. Apparently, like when we enjoy the show, people don't like it. So, here's my thing to you: How much did you dislike this episode? Lay it on me, Spencer. Give me the negative. I'm actually kind of negative right now in my initial reaction just because I found this a really weird episode of television of where I think it was going for was to be paced like a thriller of where you're not going to certain what's going to happen next. Various sides are competing with each other. There's a race against the clock. And I didn't find that that interesting. And they made some really interesting decisions for what events went down and character motivations that I wasn't expecting and at least at this moment don't particularly like. So... I thought it was still reasonably well-crafted, but coming off what, for me, was a definite height of the last episode, I'm kind of disappointed at present, and I'll be curious to think what I what I think on rewatch. Spencer giving the episode the boot. I like that. Um, I'm going to work in as many as I can. Uh, Doug, what do you think of the episode? I, I thought that the, the episode was one of the more uh, well-shot episodes that I've seen. Um, I think they did a good job pacing with camera um timing it with some of the music um as long as some of the some of the, the action by the by the actors and characters so i was pretty surprised by that i really enjoyed that part uh, i do agree with spencer that i at the end of the day i felt like it was more of a thriller but at the kind of the the finale to this episode you were kind of getting to some of the culminating points they were they were lackluster it, it made me think and wonder why was i so excited to find out what was happening just to end up where we were um <clears throat> Overall, I did think it was one of the prettier episodes as far as cinematography and timing and pacing are concerned, but um, I, I'd call it like more of a middling ranked episode overall. Okay, interesting. So, Spencer, you're, you said you're like a little bit more negative on the episode, that you're you're still struggling to sort of see your way through it. Um, anything in particular you didn't like? Anything that stands out to you? Well, one thing, we'll, we'll, we'll go into spoilers in our longer episode later, but there were some there were several adaptation choices that I'm the show's doing its own thing. It's pointedly doing its own thing. It's been doing that for a while. And I'm, I always struggle to come to terms with that to a certain degree. There were some big changes this episode uh, or some certain necessarily reveals or new knowledge about characters that haven't previously gone into that I didn't like. And that's not necessarily a fault in the show. It's doing its own thing. That's part of the problem of where a rewatch will help me in terms of processing it because that's my immediate knee-jerk response to it. I will very much agree with Doug, though, that the lighting this episode was stellar. From the very first scene of when we're going into darkness and fog, hanging over King's Landing as they're slowly lifting that to discover the death of the king, ending on absolutely beautiful shots of the Red Queen Melis landing in the sept, being, a, being obscured at first before emerging from the, uh, the mist and destruction of its own chaos. All of that was very well done and to, is to their credit. It's more really plot and character direction that I was a little bit off about with some of the characters. And like Doug said, it, the entire episode was building up to the culmination of King will be crowned. And everyone's competing for the same goal. And there's, there's supposed to be a certain build of tension associated with that when everyone's kind of going in the same direction for it. And it doesn't ultimately seem like it's that... It doesn't make for it that much of an exciting driving force and with a lot of other little side threads being so quickly cut off to lave way for that ultimate objective. Yeah. Story arch, maybe not too good, not too well pedicured. Um, I'm just thinking of all of them. I can't. I, I got to tell you, this the foot thing 
made me so happy. Here's the, here's my thought on the foot thing. You love um, the foot thing. Absolutely. I did not. Here's why it I love was the, weird. Here's why I love the foot thing because every time this show starts to get a little bit too popular, they're like, let's knock the audience down a little bit. Like we, I'm not comfortable with 24, 25 million. Let's throw in a foot fetish, some guy masturbating to some feet. Let's knock it back below 20 million. We're a little bit more comfortable. It seems to me that the show, like, like every time it starts to get really comfortable, it's like, all right, well, let's throw some incest in. How about somebody getting burned alive? Like, what can we do to alienate as many people as possible? The foot scene absolutely did that. Also was fucking hilarious. And I called it episodes ago. I was telling you, Spencer, that this guy had a sexual thing for the queen. He was a creep, etc. He did. Shout out to me. I expressed I did the not. time. I really hoped that wasn't the case. And I will also say that it, it seemed as though they gave us a little hint that there might be something there with her and Kristen Cole as well, because there was that one line where he, she said, if she whispered to him, like, your feelings for me as queen, please do this for me. I, is it is it masturbating to feet? I will grant you it is not, Spencer. But it, it did seem to me that they were um, they were throwing in a little bit of uh, like a hezzy there for the fan base to kind of wonder about their actual relationship. A uh, few quick thoughts on that point. One, it's the fetish here by one of the more popular directors in America, so they're not going that maybe out on a limb with respect to it. Was that scene just to like, you know, guest director directed by Quentin Tarantino? Did they bring him in? Could they have cast him in the role? Who knows? Chris um, Christie loved the episode. I, I, Oh, they're that too. I, I will say that if your theory is correct, that they're increasingly trying to narrow the, just the range of the kink that is this show, just more and more narrow. So there's only one person at the end that likes the show. I will be thoroughly, thoroughly impressed by their dedication while at the same time put off about eight months before they get there. We'll see whether that happens. I, I'll I, say that. I'll t- let me, let me give my nine foot thoughts of the episode. Uh, not my, not my favorite episode. Um, I, I, there were some changes from the book that I thought. Look, I don't care if they change from the book, right? I don't. That, that's fine. I mean, Fire, Fire and Blood is not a masterpiece. Um, it's not a masterpiece. Uh, but I, I really don't. I mean, it, it, it's not. I don't think we have to wait till book to show to say that Maylie's busting out in the during the coronation is not in the books, and like that is not. That didn't make a lick of sense to me. I don't know why she didn't fry him right there. Like. It all seemed like added to give us drama and like a, something to end the episode on that isn't the coronation, but it didn't make any sense. Like I, I, she should have torched them. She would have torched them. She would have at least torched Aegon. Like, and also it's just not realistic that nobody would catch her going down there. Nobody would hear about it. It just it seemed like television, right? It just seemed like something they added for the point of TV, and it didn't hit me right. Um, I thought the episode was a little slower, which is okay. I like the music a lot. I like the lighting, but I thought that it was 35 minutes stretched to an hour um, because they were trying to do this thing of let's show what the greens do, then let's show what the blacks do, right? And kind of a cool idea in, in, in concept, but like it seemed like maybe we could have gone to Dragonstone. Like I, there was space in the episode to kick the Dragonstone to see what Rhaenyra was doing. They didn't have to exclude that in my opinion. Doug, you, you, you were nodding along both for the Kristen Cole thing and for talking about Melly's bo- b- uh, busting into the sept at the end. Do you, you agree with what Lee was saying? Yeah, I, I, a couple of points. So first with, with the foot fetish, um, I, I, I shout out out loud asked, uh, my wife, I said, you know, what was the point of that other than further deepening our understanding, like of the kind of relationship and the control that he shares with Allison and in order for her to get the information and some of the benefits of that relationship, she has to give something and it kind of adds to the depravity of the individual, which we didn't need that much more to know that he is kind of who and how he is. Um, but I did ask that question. I was very much fawning over the, again, the lighting and the cinematography all the way till about halfway through the episode. And then it kind of stopped. I felt like the artistry kind of left the episode. Um, and that could have been because I was a little bit more distracted by uh, by a lot of the secondary and tertiary kind of storylines that they were adding and, and more. Um, so it was a curious episode to me because I felt like it was a there was a shift. It felt like a lost episode, to be honest. It was a little bit aimless. Um, mm-hmm. I did ask at the end um, when it came to Melly's, I, 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 my wife and I both kind of looked at each other and said, what what was the point of that? There was no point of that whatsoever beyond the fact that it didn't make any sense. 
whatsoever. Beyond that, like so many things about it didn't make sense for the for the guards to to try to close the door. And it was at least to Otto's credit to say, hey, we shouldn't you know, open the doors, open the doors. I, I appreciate that. But like that response was not something that would make sense. Uh, it wouldn't have been a coherent response from the guards. Um, and then additionally, I agree with that. The, the whole the whole point of her landing, staring smirking and then flying off made zero sense whatsoever zero she should she have should, gone she for or auto go ahead the only, there's only like two possible interpretations i can get of that scene and both kind of suck uh in terms of what her motivations were Either a she went in there with the objective of killing them and changed her mind which is just kind of lame i think they were before. by the way sorry to cut you up but i think they were going for that when allison got in front of him i think there was like that sort of mother mother thing sadly i think that's what they were going for which seems really lame to me sorry and it doesn't seem in keeping with Rainey's. Well, Rainey's is she's a character that is willing to talk with other people, willing to understand whatever else. She's also a character we've seen so far that seems perfectly willing to also kick a dog when a dog needs to be kicked. She'll throw the deuces uh, up. Yeah, she doesn't get. I feel fun. like if they were to do that, that would have been foundationally created in the moment where Allison and Rainey's were talking. We would have had that mother to mother moment, which I don't think that we had. And then also, I think they could have definitely acted it. There's been some phenomenal acting. Um, in the series, I disagree with you guys on some of who is the phenomenal part of. <laughs> We've who talked about acting. all scenes, yeah. but there are some great actors. Shout out Emma Darcy. And I, I, I feel like if that were to be the case, if it was a mother to mother moment, that could have been acted and kind of shown to us non-verbally, and it wasn't. I didn't see that, so I, I just felt like it was a again part another part of an aimless episode that started out very very strong. Well, it's not it's not like aimless, right? Because like it did. Plot perspective was super important, had to yeah. happen, the coronation of Aegon. Like, I think maybe, like, it, it, tell me if I'm wrong. Is it fair to say maybe meandering, like, in how it got there, like, sort of all over the place? Yeah, that, that's, yeah that's, that's probably a better word. That's what I mean by aimless. Like, I, it, at the end of the day, I, I just feel like there wasn't a whole lot of a point, and then they kind of culminated with that. And it does mean a lot. So her leaving... And on the fastest dragging, and, and like, th- these are things that will portend to what the following episodes have, who she's going to tell, how quickly she's going to tell them. That's all important. But at the end of the day, I still feel like meandering, aimless, whatever you may want to call it. I just felt like the episode got lost about halfway through. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. The other possible interpretation I was thinking was that she was purposely just trying to send a message, which is equally dumb if that's the case. That's stupid. There's no need yeah, for it makes no, there's that, no, they, uh, these people are literally usurping the throne. Rainies would absolutely kill them for that. Like hundred, like I don't. It, I, 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 what what about this character tells us that 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 she would not do that? Like that's what I'm confused about. Like but, but, from the book or the show. Yeah, particularly since we're all, you know, we don't know, we don't know necessarily where they're going to go with this, but we're all presuming that she's going to go fly right back to Rhaenyra right now, right, and join. Well, she her, she her does. Faction. She doesn't. Doesn't look. No, no, no. They let you know that in the next one. Okay. I, I watch the next one. So all the more reason of if you're committing to that side and if you as she pretty much expressed in the conversation with Allison, war is now going to be inevitable. Why not fight it now? I mean, either they're showing her as a character that blinked at the moment when she could have pulled the trigger, which is not in keeping with what we've seen of the character so far, or they're showing her as a character of very mixed motivations, which also is an, is, a, is, a, is an odd decision to go with that betrayal. I will agree with what you said earlier about the Cole thing. I think that was almost explicit in a couple scenes of where his righteous anger at Beesbury when he slams his head into the table. The marble. Um, and marble. In, in the marble, yes. Death, uh, death seems, by marble to the temple. Is that well, that's what happened to Lord Beesbury? <laughs> another adaptation choice I'm mixed about. Um, but, uh, it seemed almost that... The anger he was expressing there was what he interpreted as a personal attack on the queen. Same thing when he was pulling his sword against his own guards commander later. That felt like a very, beyond just simply loyalty to a cause, that felt a very personal kind of loyalty. And then later, when I think very pointedly they were framing um, Allison's two closest male assistants now in explicitly romantic semi-sexual terms in terms of how she has gone about wielding her influence and power over them or what she has to do to earn their loyalty. You know, two sides of the same coin there. Uh, so I think they're, I think that's a purposeful effort on their part um, that makes for two uncomfortable relationships, one more explicitly portrayed as uncomfortable this episode. On that point, though, I actually really didn't like that they made his thing about feet because it's making the, the aspect of what's creepy about him tied to his deformity, which the show's done a lot with that already with the other various characters in a way that's kind of uncomfortable, and doubling down on that for that character... I don't really like, 
Because it's one of the few things we're, not, we're making about him, and now we're making an aspect of him creepy through a fetish. Do you I, think I'm he not, was quite a serious question? Do you think he was turned on by her feet or her ability to walk? I was thinking feet from the trail. Doug, what do you think? That was a joke. That was a joke. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, sorry, Spencer. I'm. I, I'm. I found this episode like not that serious. Like I don't know. I I laughed a lot during the episode, and I'm kind of in like a silly mood because like I felt like a lot of it was kind of silly. The foots thing was silly, which I, I appreciate. Like sometimes like the fucking show is kind of weird. Like and that's okay. Like that's that's what we signed up for. So I'm okay with that. I will say something I liked, and something I think that was the first time we ever got much of it, and I liked how what the little arc that was attached to it. More time with Aegon. This guy's a big character. This is the one they're putting on the throne. We haven't spent more than like four minutes with him in all of his various actor forms previously. Getting to spend a little time with him, getting to be able to speak honestly about how he views his relationship with his parents and getting to him to have an element of a triumph or an element of being what he feels to be embraced by the world in a way that he's never felt before was interesting because you could almost just see an arc or a shift happening as he's now assuming the mantle. Like, you know, the quote, the quote from books is, a white cloak changes a man. A crown and an adoring crown seem to at least bring out an aspect of Aegon that we hadn't seen before. Positive or negative is yet to be decided. I think, I think you know, to that point, uh, I, I, I talked about how that was an exact, basic, basically it was an exact replication of Aemon's uh, moment with Vagar, right? He yeah. had that immediate change. And to see Aegon kind of accept the adoration of the crowd like that, that you could see him. He acted it out. Like his facial expressions changed. He started to hold up the, the sword. Like he, he understood that like, this is something that was, was something that he would like. And he wanted when he didn't want it before everything he set up until that point was, I don't want it. I did like mm-hmm. that. We spent more time with him. Um, I thought that was, that was interesting. Um, as for the, the Kristen uh, kind of relationship with Allison, I, I, I think, it was telling in her um, in her statement because I have subtitles on when I watch, and she was mm-hmm. like, "Your feelings for me," and it said dot 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 as your queen, right? So, yep. I thought, pause right there. And I and I think it's there is a difference. So it, it ultimately, like you said, two sides of the same coin. Her relationship with Larry's versus uh, Kristen are very much the same and very different. She has to do what she has to do with regard to to Larry's, and then with Kristen, she she gets this willingly from him. Like it's will it's a willful adoration that he has for her. I I don't I didn't get the read that it was. Something that there is, there have been moments that they've shared um, intimately. No, that I, no I didn't get that either. Um, but I, I, I did, I did state a few times because I've, I've kind of gone after Spencer for his uh, absolute abject hatred for Kristen Cole early, early, like very early hatred. I didn't think it was just <laughs> um, again. Knowledge was bleeding in. Yeah, I say he, this, yeah, I'll, he's the one that crowned Aegon. Fuck him. I go, I go for what the show gives me, right? And, and early on, I didn't see any reason to hate Kristen. I saw plenty of things to not like about him. Um, and then leading into this episode, there's definitely a lot to really, really dislike. This episode kind of cemented in my mind the things to, to really, really not appreciate and to hate about him. Um, my wife asked me, do you think him uh, slamming Lord Bury's head, was, was that intentional? Was he trying to kill him? And I, my thought was like, uh, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard guess to think that the marble of the temple has to hit it just right. You know, to end up killing someone that way, it's got to be very, it's got to be done very specifically. You could definitely like, you know, knock him unconscious or, 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 you know, have some kind of brain trauma over time. So I didn't think it was intentional how to, to kill him. I agree. Um, but Kristen, Kristen definitely took a turn. I think Spencer's thoughts three, four episodes ago are now cemented in, in, in viewers' minds of, of how kind of twisted this guy is um, off of all because of, and, you know, a few, a few pods ago, Terry's thoughts on, um, you know, Rainier saying, no, I don't want to uh, fly off with you. It's hey, a, question. What if, what if, what if um, in like, start, they start the first, the next season and Allison's like, Sir Kristen Cole, I need you to go treat with Rainier on Dragonstone. And he was like, well, and then she like starts taking like a glove off, you know, like, <laughs> And then it's like he's the hand guy, like he's yeah, the hand yeah, and the feet. He, he That'd be pretty be, neat, right? Be. Yeah. Um, the next you know, you had something. <laughs> if every member of the green side is obsessed with a different Allison body part by the end of the show, of where she's just it's a reserving one for each one of them. Now, it, you brought up an interesting kind of thing. In my uh, in my idea, Doug, is that her supporters are obsessed with different aspects of Allison. 
of where Larry seems to be obsessed with something pretty made vulgar. He seems to be obsessed with, you know, the royal queen, the leader of the realm. They're stripping semi-naked and vulnerable there it's in sexual. front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. But it's sexual. We, uh, on the other hand, we saw Cole pointedly say outside of a brothel that all women must be respected. They're creatures of the mother, whatever else. I think he's going so hard away from Rhaenyra and, you know, that he's selling his cloak with that fornication and whatever else, that he's now obsessed with her purity, that she's a redeemer. She's almost like a Christ-like figure for him. She is the way out of his prior sin. So I don't think he views her sexual at all. I think he almost just idolizes her as a, an avatar of the mother on earth kind I, of thing. Or, that's what he needs the, her to be. Or the opposite of Rhaenyra, right? And and he's sure. blind to the to the, to how similar they can be in in so many ways. Um, but yeah. so I, I don't entirely agree, but I do I I think to a point you're you're right. Um, but it, it it was this this show did do a lot of things that I appreciated. It did expose and give us more time with characters and some development that I think at least was important personally. Maybe not necessarily for the plot line. I don't think this this episode did a whole lot for the for the plot. I am curious about your thoughts when Otto was speaking with Allison after. Um, they got uh, Aegon back um, as she was parting uh, or what what caused her to, to, to leave was when he said, mm. look like you're so much like your mother in certain lights. What were your thoughts on on that statement? I, I interpret and I saw some people online were already interpreting that. Oh, my God, is everyone into incest on this show? I didn't read it that way. I read it as being no. a, a very much a comment on respect that she's playing the game. She's not playing for you know, as much his team as he wanted or as much in line with his strategy or under his direct direction command. But she's making aggressive moves. She's making determined moves. She's committing herself. And I think he appreciates that and respects that in her. And the same way he did in the prior scene of when she pulled a blade and ran right at Rhaenyra, he was the only one that was complimenting her afterwards that that's the fire. That's what we're going to need. And I think that I think he's carrying that through of the similar kind of feelings he had for the mom and respect for her in that regard, apply it to Allison. But Lee, what do you think? Well, first of all, I, I don't disagree with your thought about Kristen Cole potentially liking Allison as a sort of like someone to hold up, right? But yeah, like on a pedestal. Yeah, but it, I mean, if she, I mean, and that may be true, but if I mean, if she wanted to hook up with him, he would do it. I mean, he's he's a dude. Like, come on, like, let, let's not pretend like it can't turn it, to sexual. Start mutually exclusive. It can turn to sexual very fast. So, like that, those two things that that's not like two separate circles on the Venn diagram. Um, sure. So on this point, I took that as she would like way different than you, Mister Pants uh, Spencer. I, he he was losing that conversation. She was bullyballing him. And this was him trying to figure out a way to remain manipulative. And so he was trying to hit her hmm. with something about her, her mother to try to connect with her emotionally continue, her continue, to continue to exert control over her. And that's why she was just like, ugh, weak, weak attempt. And then she just bounced. My like, parting comment for that was he is so incredibly manipulative because that's exactly how I took it as well, Terry. That was exactly it. Same but, yeah, I think it's I think that's perfectly fair. I, I also don't I, at the moment I don't think it's mutually exclusive because Otto is so utterly twisted when it comes to family that even he would see a comment like that or manipulation of her is in some ways an act of love just because you know I'm bringing all the family together and doing what's best for us. So I I I, I don't think in his mind those two are mutually exclusive, but I you know I think I think that's a good read on y'all's part. I think if um, I'm going to offer. Let me offer one outstanding critique of just where this is all going. And I'm sorry, cut you off. I'll send it right back Thank to you. Um, I don't like that they're trying to make everyone's motivations be be very linear. Like, oh, Allison wants Aegon on the throne because of the thing that Viserys said that she misunderstood. Like, like it seems to me that and Aegon he wants to be king now because he stood in front of the crowd, got the adoration, and da 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 da. Like, it seems like they're Maybe with regards to uh, um, motivation for characters, assuming that we're like maybe dumb or that if we don't have clear motivations for characters, we won't be as invested in them. Because like one of the things I really appreciated in the book is that it was never particularly clear why Alicent was doing what she was doing. And that would have been kind of cool to have her operating in this gray area, but giving her such a discreet, like here is the exact reason you're doing what you're doing. 
feels like not respecting the audience and and they continue to do it with characters now they're doing it with larry's well now we know larry's motivation why because he's a sexual pervert and the queen shows him her feet like everybody has to have a oh hold on we need a motivation scene for so and so here's your two minutes for motivation i'm going to politely disagree with you uh for a couple reasons or what i think that they're giving us are character catalysts rather than character motivations of where we're seeing for almost all the characters you mentioned, a lot of divides going in different directions, a lot of conflicted thoughts, a lot of a lot of selective interpretation events. Like when we heard Allison recounting what Viserys said on his deathbed, her count was wrong. She wasn't even remembering the details accurately. She was inserting something to crystallize something that she was already feeling. With Aegon, he wasn't necessarily just I'm ready to be king now. We, he was processing his own degree of trauma and abandonment by now placing it on the crowd. Or with Larry's, another example you mentioned, we get him, so, you know, I, I, I like the queen because I like to jack off to her feet. The exact oh. scene before then was, I'm getting close to the queen. He was telling Otto, I'm getting close to the queen. That can work out in your favor, too. He's playing all sides. So I think we're seeing, more time we're spending the character, we're seeing certain things that can crystallize them to action, can motivate them to, you know, go along the lines they've already been going or otherwise simplify other, uh, very conflicted views. But we're seeing with respect to all of them that they are very deeply divided even in their own minds and are struggling in terms of the decisions they admit or outright manipulative of, of those around them and representing to each one individually that my path is perfectly clear while they say tell eight people the same thing. So I, I, I will give them credit. I think it's more complicated than, than the way you're framing it there, at least my view. But Doug, what do you think? So I, I didn't I didn't enjoy last episode all that much, and I'm only going to bring it up. I thought it was a good episode, but I didn't think I, I was not gushing as you two uh, were. To our degree. One of my biggest complaints about it were the, the 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 final the final scene where you know he he thought he was talking to Rhaenyra and Allison took that. I felt like that was playing into exactly what Terry's complaint is at the end of the day. I felt like that was just a short shot and very very far too easy of a way to push into corner. Allison into being simple to understand with her motivations coming up in the next episode. And it played out exactly that way. So, yeah. And we had that with Cole too, right? Like, Oh, well, why does Cole like Allison? Well, here's this discreet activity. Yeah. I'm not saying like each individual one is bad. It's just like, it seems like we have to have this like motivation scene for every, like, Oh, hold on. Let's get, let me give you the, the little factoid as to why they're going to do X, Y, Z. And I, I like, I like our characters operating in the gray a little bit to what you appreciate though. I don't think Amon felt, fell prey to that this episode i think he's still incredibly complex and the things that that are his motivations remain um varied and and we'll find out more can but i miss something I, here I, to I, you guys with terry more than than spencer i think i'm just kind of somewhere in the middle of spencer i'm not as as hard pressed I, I don't see it as wide spread with the characters as terry does but but i will say for sure one of my biggest complaints coming out of these last two episodes is exactly that problem can i can i miss something to you guys so I'm Team sure. Black, obviously. Hate the Hot Towers, fuck Hot Towers, don't like Hot Towers. No. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have an Amon shirt pretty soon. This fucking dude is awesome. Uh, I love the character. We'll see if that I holds also, for next episode. I also, I also love that they threw in that little bit of like, hey, I'd be a better king. Cause I was sitting there going like, yeah, of course you would. You'd be a way better king. Like, and like we, we haven't even touched on the fact that like, the, they gave us a small window in the depravity of Aegon. Like, this guy fucking sucks. Like, he is the worst. It, <laughs> so yeah, to I'm a big point, Amon fan. To, to the point that one of the Kingsguard basically just said, "I'm out," and just completely converted over the other camp upon realizing the full scope of Aegon's misdeeds, and that this is the guy they're trying to put on the throne. Eric, but what no, aspect no, we no, talked about at all? Eric, Eric, sorry, Eric, Eric, yeah, Eric, Eric, yeah, you got it. Um, okay. uh, what did we feel about the role of the White Worm this episode? Because that's an aspect we haven't talked about. Where they, they set it up prior episode that you know the the queen's um, maidservant uh, or, or maid maid was in the employ of the white worm. So that was set up. We even talked about it at the time late for that episode. That seemed like a very purposeful. Hey, remember she's here. This is going to be important later. How do we feel of her getting the information early, stepping in the game, dealing with Otto? Personally, I felt it didn't feel that organic in the episode and kind of broke the flow of the thriller that they were going with. Yeah, no, I agree. If if her, I mean, I, and I think it's noteworthy and noble for her motivation to to selling the king up uh, for the future king for Aegon, selling him up to to 
clean up some of uh, the, the the side hustles that people have regarding the kids. I think that's great. It absolutely felt forced. If, if they had gone for something, more, had some other motivations that were deeper and farther reaching than that, I think it wouldn't have come off as forced. It, it definitely, I, I felt like it was a, a non-issue. It served to like tell us a little bit more about Aegon not wanting to be king at the end of the day, but her particular role, I, I just didn't, I didn't see that much value in. I agree, particularly her motivation in that regard felt forced. And I almost feel like the show is in some ways afraid to just have characters be self-interested. Like, you know, it's okay if a character just wants to succeed or just wants their That's family to That's what I was just saying. That's what I was just complaining about. Okay. Well, in, in that aspect of, of that, I will agree that other than pointedly characters that were explicitly only portraying as villains. Because I, Otto, I think, is a complex character I like, but I think the show wants us to view him as a bad guy. Um, it seems like the idea of having any degree of, I just, I just want my side to win is something the show is explicitly portraying as bad and that characters be likable. They have to have a motivation that is in some way more either humane or humanitarian than that. Yeah. So that's, that's the large part of what I was trying to say. It's said a lot better than, than I was saying. Um, yeah, can't get past the accent. Bad accent on the actress. It's really, not her natural accent. I really, don't know why really, they're letting her do that. Really rough. Um, I, I, I view the time with the white worm as an investment. I'm hoping almost like Varys was in season one, where the Varys scenes, I was always kind of like, Ugh. like, I don't, why is this fucking guy here? It was an investment to the fact that like, he can be a major plot driver and character later because he basically has all of the information and that's like super valuable in society. So I view what time with her as an investment. I did think that like her trying to bully ball Otto was like not super realistic to me. It didn't seem like anything that like I, I would think she would need to be a little bit more careful in that situation dealing with the hand of the king and somebody's like ready to and like usurp the throne and install their grandson. It seemed a little weird that she would be that harsh with him. Well, it's Pure theater they met in the open anyway, because no yeah, way on earth that she have allowed that to happen. Great point. The yeah, I, business is to hide who they are so that people that recognize them won't walk up and be like, oh, look what they're doing. Done. Yeah, no, I, I agree entirely. And I think how it differs from the Game of Thrones line versus this is the Game of Thrones line, there was there was definitely a protective measure to being the the holder of the secrets and kind of and working in the shadows. This was not this was not it. I, I felt like this was a very, very weak play at at showing some similarity and it was just poorly done across the board, both for the screenwriting as well as just like the general theme. If in reality, this would not work out very, very well to make yourself so plainly seen um, publicly or directly to Otto or playing as hardball as she was. I, it was just, it, it didn't come off um, very clean uh, or purposeful. I, 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 I'm with you. I hope it is an investment. I don't see it as being a very well portrayed investment now or in the future. It also didn't seem very much in keeping with what we already know about their relationship from a few episodes back. The two of them have dealings. They do business with each other. That's why Otto was aware of the fact yeah, that, that Rhaenyra and Damon were at, a, were at a brothel together. It seems like a character that when they've got this kind of ongoing relationship where they know each other, where they've trusted each other, he pointedly told the king to his face, I've worked with this woman many times before. She's yeah, he got fired know. because of her. Yeah, without and yeah. he didn't give her up. Yeah, I could, yeah. great point, Spencer. Um, but guys, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Last thing I'll Even more so, I think it would have been a much stronger move on the White Worms part. Uh, sorry, I want to say real name. Uh, and I think given how much she's been playing this game for a while now, it felt like a bit more in keeping for the character. Is if she almost treated this as if it were nothing to her. Not the, you owe me now, this is a big deal, you have to give me things right now and stand for this. Just all like a token. It's like, oh yeah, I found this thing for you. He's here, dressed up in a package. Just remember that going forward. I think that would have been such a more effective power play for the character and so much more effectively ingratiated her to this side rather than a hand-handed threat that if she didn't, if she didn't read Otto's response to her comments as an equal and far greater threat back at her, she's a damn fool. Because she said, you know, he, what, did, what, what, what did he say? You know, you, know you, you owe me this. I could have ended the war right now. I could have killed him. And Otto just looks at her and says, I'll remember. And she almost looks like she flinches back, like, oh, I overcommitted a bit. Mm. feel like it would have been a lot more authentic if, hey, Otto, we've worked together before. This is another little favor. Remember how powerful I am. This will come up again. You owe me. I think that would have been a much more effective little scene between the characters in keeping with what we've seen before. But, Doug, you were going to say something. 
Try to get Spencer to write some fanfic. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, it's already on page 500. You should look it up. I uh, have to do the accent. The question that was posed while we were watching was while Allison had sent Kristen and Otto had sent the, the Eric's to go find, what was the purpose of them having two efforts to go? What, what were the, the, what were the driving forces for each of them? What did you anticipate them to be? What were you thinking? Cause ultimately, I didn't have an answer when my wife asked me that question. She didn't really have an answer. I felt like it was just generating um, emotion for the sake of emotions, right? I, I didn't see a purpose in it. Because they're instinct the same, unless they're different. I know. What are your thoughts? Yes, uh, please, I thought in some ways they were purposely harkening back to something in season one of Game of Thrones. If we had several competing factions, all whoever has the king has the power. That whoever has the king in their possession, they can get the king to do whatever they want. And I think that's what they were going for, that if Otto had the king, he could coordinate strategy and coordinate effort with the with the king basically as his puppet. Meanwhile, Allison wants to install the king, have him be his own man, make him rise to the occasion, have him be under her influence. I think that's what they were going for. It just doesn't come across as that much of a real tension and compelling, because from our perspective, same shit, diff- different guy behind the throne. And Otto's still going to be there. It's not like Allison's writing him off. He's going to still be the main. He's still going to be the hand of the king. He's still going to be the one doing all the politics because Allison doesn't know how to do it. So it, it's built as if, oh my God, who's going to get him? They'll be able to control influence, whatever else. But it doesn't ultimately seem that that big a deal because they both want the exact same thing and aren't really that much fighting with each other on this topic, other than. I guess, odd little bits of staging? Because it's like Allison was framing, we have to coordinate him. We have to do it right away. And I'm, I thought Otto, I'm going, yeah, what did you think I was going to do? Eh? So, we both want this. So the the tension as far as who's going to get him first didn't work for me at all. Because I like you guys, I thought, well, they, well they're both going to have him coordinated. So who cares? Here's the thing I did kind of like about it, though. And I wish they'd leaned into this a little bit more is that there was a little bit of a chaotic element to it. I wish there was more chaos of these characters, like not knowing what to do, like, you know, uh, um, uh, trying to do things that don't make a lot of sense, bumbling over each other because the king just died. They're about to usurp the throne. They're probably all super nervous. And so the fact that they would both kind of send people out to go try to find Aegon, they can't find Aegon. There's tension around that. Like the fact they can't find him, that work, that tension worked for me, but the fact that there was two different people trying to find him at the same time, I didn't care which one found him. So the, I, I guess what I'm saying is it kind of worked in the sense that like th- they were trying to show us some chaos around, you know, the king just died and we have this whole thing going on. That kind of worked. But again, I didn't care which, which side got him. That, that seems more manufactured drama rather than actually, you know, competing plot kind of thing, though, where they're just setting up they're, – they're, they're setting up characters doing lots of things at the same time to just generate an image of, of drama, complexity, whatever else, rather than actually being that. But one other possibility, purely based on two other little data points we've had before, and one, one this episode, one previous. One, Otto seems to like Eamon better. We've seen that before. Two, Duh. what did the king's – tell Aegon about where he would be going. You're going to meet the hand of the king outside of King's Landing's walls. Now, perfectly possible he's just lying to try to convince him to come with him because that's what Aegon would want. But do we want to entertain any possibility that now that they can say whatever the shit they want about what the king said on his deathbed, Otto's just trying to get... Aegon out of the way and actually replace him with somebody he thinks might be better at the job. I mean, Aegon was down with that plan. He's like, let me get the fuck out of here. Like, I thought the fact that Aegon didn't like the fact that Aegon didn't want it was one of the more interesting aspects of the whole like two paragraphs. We get of this in the book to me <laughs> and like of the show, like his whole tension about not wanting it was, was really interesting to me. And the, and the whole subplot of like, well, Eamon kind of does want it. And he admits to Cole that he he does want it because now we got that tension going forward, right? Because Eamon is their number one dude. Like he is, he's got Vagar. He's, he's Damon Jr. He's ready to roll. He's their heavyweight. And the fact that he's got a little tension with his brother, that does add a dramatic element to me that I think works. Doug? Yeah, no, I, I, I will say that the only thing that the competing father and daughter 
teams going to look for Aegon served was really more time with Aemon. We got to see a little bit more depth there. I do appreciate that not only does he <clears throat> admit and, and very clearly see that he's a better fit for the throne, but he kind of told us why, right? He he tells us that he is yeah. he is studying. He studies his, his philosophy. He trains with the sword. He does the things he's supposed to do. Prior to this, all we saw was a guy that likes to poke at uh, Rhaenyra's kids a little bit um, and, and who has a new edge, right? Uh, so I did appreciate that. I, I I'm curious to see how they continue to drive his story forward competing with Aegon's because he's going to have to have a new story. It's going to take a dramatic shift now that he's uh, he's been crowned as he moves forward. And he has a new, obvious, uh, obviously, a, a very new appreciation for being the king versus what he thought it would be like and how how much he didn't want it. He clearly wants it now. Um, but Aemon is the guy. I think they did a good job at, at, at putting that. Um, and that's going to be a new tension moving forward. I, I don't. I don't see it as um, as competitively uh, or catastrophic, maybe as, as some people might be seeing, as far as like pitting brother against brother. But there will certainly be some friction that I think will be, um, if they do it right, will be really enjoyable to see play out. Yeah, they've been setting up some resentment in that regard, but we've also seen that Aemon seems to support his brother. I mean, everyone's last episode, whenever there was about to be something thrown down, Aemon's the first one to stand up. Almost oh, for sure, Aegon is. Uh, they purposely seem to be setting up a similar kind of br- a, a brother t- filial tension between Aegon and Aemon as between Viserys and Daemon, as if it is a new generation played out in that regard, particularly since they've just made Aemon look like Daemon, act like Daemon, purposely be styling himself like his hero Daemon in a lot of ways, which gives you the connotations that the, a similar kind of relationship can, can go forward, particularly when they had this episode. It set out several times that... Oh, yeah, Viserys never should have been king. He didn't really want to be king. He should have just been some fat country lord enjoying himself. Really, Reyna should have been king, which, again, casts Aegon even more in the realm of being a, a repeat of his father, just in very more debaucherous, debaucherous violent kind of ways. Uh, what did we? Oh, one thing we haven't talked about, what did we feel about how the Greens handled Rhaenyra's supporters that were left in King's Landing this episode? The... Killing of Beesbury for speaking up at, at, at the council meeting, the hanging of uh, Lord Caswell directly there in the Red Keep, the arrest and imprisoning effectively of Reyna. Did we feel like that was – how do we like that from a writing standpoint, and how do we also like that from a just political strategic standpoint on the Greens' part? I didn't like that they made Beesbury's death something that we could have – that the conversation could happen that just happened. Which is y'all guys going, well, I don't know, like, did he mean to kill him? Did he not mean to kill him? I mean, maybe, maybe not. I, I don't like that. I, I liked, I, I like the idea that when Beesbury stands up and gives his speech, shout out Lord Beesbury, shout out to mm-hmm. Lord Beesbury, he had his moment, that Christian Cole kills him. I, I like that. I like that there is intent there, that he's the first one to strike, that he sets out and, and establishes the tone for the greens. I, I, I didn't like that sort of ambiguity around that. Um, the fact that they were killing everybody right away, um, I think is smart from a plot, from a writing perspective, right? Because they're going to have to figure out a way to show us Rhaenyra's ambitions, like to, to, to what is moving her toward action. And when she catches word that all her supporters were hanged. Um, I think that that's going to be a pretty clear case for her supporters who want to go to war as to why she has to do so. So it's further furthering her motivations, I think. As far as uh, in world, I think it was stupid. I would have put him in a cell. I wouldn't have killed him um, because you you know you could you could work with Renera. You could say I'll release these people if you you know bend the knee or whatever. Yeah, you just have more leverage if you stick them in a cell. So it did make sense to kill him in my perspective, Doug. Yeah, I think, I mean, how many did they kill? How many did they hang in the Red Keep? We only saw one. Yeah, we only saw Lord Caswell. That's right. So I I, I don't take issue with with them killing him necessarily. I I think it plays out as far as like letting people know to what lengths they're going to, they're going to go. So the one or the two in world is as far as that's concerned. The one or the two to make a point, I think is, is a strong move. Um, as far as moving everybody to the, to the cells, that was, I mean, that was largely Larry's call. He, he felt like there were some, um, some moles and some control, right? There had to be like, at what point do you identify that the chain of custody of the knowledge of the King's passing has to be managed? That's why they did it. It made total sense. I think everything as far as like kind of some of the more brutal aspects of how they're going to manage, how they started to manage this early on made total sense to me. Um, 
killing Lord Beesbury was super easy because it's a minor nobody house, like I've told you before, so it's really not a big deal. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> my God. The shade. the shade you cast at their high school. Here's the thing, though. They let him have his moment. So, like, at least there was that. They let him have his moment. And it was I'm 7 and 60, and this is not – when he shouted out his age, I was like, oh, man. That's what I liked about him was six. he was the character, given that speech, was probably the character I closely – I see most myself most closely aligned with. He was as objective as you could be, unlike you guys. He was very objective. He was like, this is right. I know the king. This is what makes sense. What you're saying doesn't make sense. And he died for it. And and, and it was a, and it was a shame. However, Death um, by marble. I do wish, Terry, like you, that it was more clear what the intentions were. I, I don't see the intention being to kill him, but I, I, I wish it was clear because it would have made more sensitive. If it was, and again, as far as uh, hanging the the one or the two, it, it it doesn't. I think it serves their purposes, and it doesn't play against them. Now, were they just to hang, you know, every every lord of the house that they had there that did not uh, bend the knee, that probably would have played out very poorly for them in the long run. One last thing for me, because this is something we're all on the same page on, because this character has been dead for like two decades in the book. Lord Westerly, uh now ex Lord Commander of the King's Guard. Where do we where do we think his next step is? It almost seemed like they were setting him up as the Barristan Selmy ex yes. left to go join the real queen, and it felt like they were. It rhymes. It's in cycle across history. Yeah, that's exactly. Is, what's is everybody right. on the same page for that? So, yeah, yeah, he's going to show up in Dragonstone. Yeah, I didn't like that. I think that was. I think they're playing a little bit too much. I think we see too many recalls back to Game of Thrones. But that is he should exactly. be ninety. He should be so old. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't even put Again. any in Kristen's hair. Like, there's, there's, I, I, I take huge issue with casting in the show, but I enjoy the show, so I just let it happen. They've definitely been inconsistent about aging of the characters. Of where, did you guys ever watch the show Vikings on the History Channel? Nope. It, it's decent, um, but the male characters aged, but none of the female characters ever aged until the last stage of things. They would just stay the same age for like forty years. They would try to age them up. This show's almost of the reverse of where the female characters have aged, but most of the male characters other than Viserys, basically, have just reached a point and then just look the accent. Plus their children becoming insane. adults. It's almost like they're elves. Allison hasn't Al- changed. Allison, she had one age bump. She had, they changed actresses at one point. What I would have done is I would have casted Aemon exactly how they did, and then I would have casted everybody off of him. That's what I would have done. He's phenomenal. What a, what a look that kid has. Phenomenal. Uh, he can definitely smirk with the best of them. Um, all right. Well, I mean, I'll. they've really gone with their own story now. They've changed a lot of aspects of the adaptation. It does make it to a certain degree exciting from bo- a book reader to just know exactly where they're going to go next because they seem perfectly confident to alter to alter or add upon the knowledge that we have. Um, and while I have – I'm curious to see on Rewatch whether my views hold because I would think I would put this right now – Probably, well, definitely in the bottom half of the episodes for me, probably in the bottom three, in ter- at least in terms of where I am right now. Um, it's certainly an important episode, and it sets up a very rock-on-style telling of where this was the green story. We saw it from their perspective. Now we're going to spend the entire next episode with the Blacks before we come back at the beginning of Season 2 with a United Again perspective. That is an interesting writing and directorial choice that I thought – had mixed results in this episode, but could stand to have a lot of tension and excitement in the next episode now that we know what the Greens are doing. And we're going to get to hear and see what the Blacks are now hearing about that themselves and how they react from what will probably be very limited source information. Can I say something, though, about the, the changing from the book? Like, So when they made changes in the main series from the books – I think there was legitimate beef, right? I think there was real legitimate sure. beef because you had source material that you could work with. Like, this is very different. Like, we have like 75 pages of an unreliable narrator telling three different stories with very few details. Like, they can't adapt a lot it. Of opportunity. They can't adapt it by the book. So, like, the people, people are like, people who complain, like, this isn't a true adaptation. There was no way of possibly doing a true adaptation from Fire and Blood. That book wasn't written to do such a thing. So, like, they were always going to have to change something. I, I, now, I like to dither about what they changed, et cetera. I'm going to do that, right? But, like, mm-hmm. this isn't the same thing as changing the source material in the main series when they still had book. Because that had plenty of detail they could have worked with to tell a true story. They don't even have a true story on the page here. So it's very different. 
it, it's a, it's adapting for the main series an omnipresent narrator where we're always certain of exact events. Um, at least we're always certain of a certain perspective on exact events. Whereas here they're adapting a history textbook of where it's a well done historian who's recounting that we're not exactly certain what happened here, but here's what these two guys said about it. And each one had their own motivations or reasons for saying. Gives them a lot of wiggle room to do things. And it often gives them the opportunity to say, oh, this wasn't in the books. It's just because the historians didn't write it down. Well, it's a fair thing that they can do in terms of adapting it. Well, and the, the historian also has their own motive. Like, so the because the historian is a character in the story what? that has its own motivation. So it's like it, it's sure. so fucked up, like how the story is told that like people who like, well, this isn't a true adaptation. It's like don't even like. I, I mean, I well, guess you can say whatever you want to say, but that seems like a silly comment. There's no way to do a true adaptation of Fire and Blood or the World of Ice and Fire. I agree, and I think it's apparent on the show that they're adopting the view that the historians themselves were very overly harsh and critical to the main female characters in the narrative. Because anyone who wants to say that they've been just whitewashing Rhaenyra and no one else, watch this episode and tell me they didn't try to make the Greens a lot more, particularly Alicent, a lot more human in their motivations, or at least complex in their motivations. Yeah, they, they did. They clearly want us to sympathize with our two main female characters to possibly make the narrative of their war later all the more tragic. All right, so I'm going to work out. I know we're, we're about to wrap up. I want to work out. I'm, I'm laying the groundwork for a little theory I got. You guys ready? Okay. So. Is it about um, feet? No, well, no, not about the, the one time I'm not going to actually talk about feet. All right. So yeah. I think Eamon's already having an affair with Helena because here's, here's, here's one little d- data point, right? When the queen is in the room with Helena and her children and talking about the king dying and Aegon and all this stuff, Eamon just walks in. It's like 630 in the morning. What the fuck is he walking into her chambers for? Why is he there? Like, and then when Aegon's like, I'll, I'll leave, put me on a ship, he's lit up, he's excited. Why? Because he can step right in and get with Helena. They're already setting up the tension of Aegon and Aemon and, like, the sort of jealousy, the second brother thing. I think having a true romantic relationship between Aemon and Helena will only exacerbate the situation and make everything much more interesting. I think that's the road they're going. I think that's feasible. I think it also plays into I think Eamon is a little bit more honorable than than we've been able to see thus far. And I think that would definitely add to the tension because just generally how much he sides with the family and, and, and he does understand his brother. I, I don't think we'd have the tension that we're hoping for without something like that. Um, yeah. So to, go ahead. Yeah, go two ahead. data points in, in favor of it from last episode. Um, one. When Jace got up and and danced with uh, Helena, Aegon just looked a little bit confused. Aemon looked pissed. So there's that. Stared at him the whole point. time. Stared at him the whole time. Yeah. Uh, it could have just been protecting us of his brother or just the fact he walked into that room looking to fight, which he did. So either way, another another factor, too, is, is Helena's speech that she gave at, at, at the toast as well. He said that Aegon just ignores her, except occasionally when he's drunk. But somehow they've got three kids together. It's perfectly possible that someone else ah, has been, good, been providing good data goodies. point, Spencer. I like that data point. That was a good one. I like that. Yep. We're building a theory, guys. We're doing it together. Okay. Um, anything else you want to cover on this episode? I, I, I'll, I'll say this. Well, as how would y'all rank it? I did, yeah, I was just going to do that. I know I've been a little silly this episode because I think there were some silly parts of the episode and also like time to bring a little levity to the podcast. Like it's just a TV show. Um, I'm with you, Spencer. Lower half. Um, I'm not ready to say it's the worst one of the season. I think there was some really great filmmaking that was going on. So like that, I struggle. It's almost like with, like, uh, in, in some ways, this isn't a great analogy, but kind of like with Rings of Power, even when Rings of Power had a bad episode, I was like, I don't know. It's still fucking beautiful. Like, so I kind of struggled with that. So I don't know where to put it, but it's definitely in my lower half. I kind of agreed with most of your summary, actually, Spencer. We're getting kind of boring. We kind of agree with each other a lot. Doug. Um, so I would say, your names came up uh, twice during this episode. Number one, uh, when Lord Beesbury ate it, I said, man, Spencer's going to be so sad. And, and <laughs> I just wanted to go ahead and have condolences. Uh, number two, at, every time they showed Rainey's, I was like, man, I've been right about her the whole time. And Terry had to eat it. <laughs> I was very happy That's true. That. I was wrong about Rainey's. I was Look, very hey. happy about that. I was making a case. I didn't even have to make it. I just said my statement, and she was awesome, and she still is. Um, even, minus not using her dragon to, to burn everybody. Yeah, I should have done yeah. that. That's uh, um, strange. But the show, I, I, I take exception to this one because it, I was, I was, I really was gushing about 
how strong I felt that the artistry of the episode was at the beginning and it just lost it. And I, and at the end I was like, what, what, what kind of crap is this? So like, I, I was like personally offended at a point, but I would say like, yeah, in the, in the 30 percentile of, of all the other episodes. So definitely the lower half, um, I felt like, but uh, at the end of the day, to be fair, it did serve to, to forward a lot of plot points, um, and to add some new threads. It did humanize Allison quite a bit, even more, which I do appreciate. Um, it also very strongly pitted the, the high towers in a place that, um, makes it very easy for, for the blacks to, to kind of show themselves as having the, the, the moral high ground. It, it's, it, it's going to make for very interesting fo- subsequent episodes. I think this is more or less cannon fodder to further the, the terrain that they're hoping to get. Which which makes the decision of them having uh, Rennie's attack the Sept and just kill dozens, maybe hundreds of just random people for something that she then doesn't do, all the weirder. It's like, if you're giving them the moral high ground, having them, one of their main people of their faction just slaughter a lot of peasants and then do nothing with it, most shows that be the mark of the big villain of the entire show. Now, it shows a certain degree of complexity and also lack of caring, and it could be relevant for the plot later. But as you said, if they're setting up the blacks to be heroes compared to what the greens were doing, it's a very interesting call at the end. For you guys keep forgetting this, though. You guys are always like, oh, it's so sad when a when a when a nameless character, you know, dies or whatever. I'm like, yeah, whatever. That person was going to die anyway. This is a medieval world in world. Their lives are meaningless. Those people aren't aligned. Doug, with perspective. Doug let me let me quote your queen. Reluctance to murder is not weakness. OK. All right. <laughs> yeah. I wrote that down. Queen said that this episode. What she didn't say, though, is that a strong bearing towards murder is strength. So it may not be weakness, but it is strength. That's, and uh, Damon's going to that, that later on. I am certain of it. Oh, I, mean, it's one, I can't wait to see Damon's reaction to all this shit. It does, she, I did love that line just because it does set up one of the most consistent tensions over the course of the various shows is the idea of to what degree can what degree can unacceptable violence be justified or as a means to an end of words, the same thing of Tywin's quote to how is it any worse to kill 10 people at dinner rather than 10,000 on the battlefield? And it seems that was always Otto's perspective. On it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you get into the theory of threshold of violence, which is an established thing. And in this in world, sure. the threshold of violence is incredibly high. So, again, when it comes to people that are not not part and members of noble houses, it's really a non-issue um, at the end of the day. I, I, that's just kind of how I see it. But I will say this. In our conversations, sidebars aside from the pod, uh, Terry tends to say, Doug, you, you're team green. Um, I, I will say this. I've stood on this. My favorite character thus far has been Damon. Um, for, for my own reasons, I'm explaining those to you guys. Um, I'm really, really excited to see where this is going because, uh, the, the Targaryen family is absolutely taking, um, some very easy steps to having the moral high ground. I'm curious to see how that works out. The Damon, Eamon, um interplay is going to be really, really interesting. But at the end of the day, what I really appreciate and what I really enjoy about this show is not, I don't see it as making it very easy to be team green or team black. Um, mm-hmm. I think that what this show does is it pits a lot of, it, it pits us against a lot of moral questions that both houses play against. One, I think, I think it's pretty clear that Targaryens are the better house of the two. But at the end of the day, the, the, it keeps making us and forcing us to ask the question, like who, who does this even make sense? Is it worth it? And um, so I'm really appreciative that the show is putting me against that. It allows me to remain objective pretty clearly and pretty cleanly. I feel overall um, unemotionally attached, which I keep trying to get you guys to get there, but we'll see. I really appreciate you guys. Let me uh, take part in this. It was at the end of the day, I'm still glad it was, a, it was a decent episode of all the fantasy series and adaptations that have been made. This is the only one um, whose book I didn't read, and I'm very glad that I didn't. Um, it allows me to enjoy the show a lot more. Anything, any concluding thoughts here, Spencer, before I wrap up? Uh, even a mixed episode of this show is still clearly very high quality and crafted with a, a good degree of dedication and love. And I think this will be an important episode in terms of fitting into the overarching story, even if I felt as an individual entry, it was lackluster. Okay. All right. Well, thank you guys for this. Look at this hour long reaction pod, the longest we've ever gone. Uh, Doug, thanks for joining us. I hope you will join us again in future pods. I would like to hear your voice on the Mangup Talks podcast network because this was really good. It was really a lot of fun. Spencer, I will talk to you probably like Tuesday night where we will recap beat by beat the entire episode. We will review the entire episode. We will do our segments. We will do the entire thing. And on that podcast, I am fairly sure we're going to be able to announce what our next television show is, That the next thing that we're covering because we are getting that question a lot from our fans. What are we doing next? 
I will probably uh, lead with that in the next episode. So please join us on Tuesday. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you then. Beware the beast beneath the boards.